All right, so uh, around your table, here's, here's a couple of questions that I want to open with this morning. Um, if somebody says, hey, I would like to take you to lunch anywhere you want, you pick. Where do you choose and what factors into that decision? Yeah, talk, yeah. Okay. So, you know, here's some things that, that I think factor into it would be like a place that you love versus a place you've never been before but you want to try, right? And it's nice to try new things when it's on somebody else's bill instead of yours. You don't feel like you wasted the money. Am I the only one like that? Anybody else? Yeah, right, okay. I've also heard like, well, who's paying? Am I paying or are they paying, right? And then do they have a lot of money or don't have a lot of money, right? I mean, there's a lot of things, right, that, that factor into that. But who picks somewhere uh, that you just you love to go all the time. You just want to go back, okay? Who picks somewhere that you don't go to very often? A couple. Oh, there we go. Okay, all right. What were some of those places? Oh, okay. So you went there, but well, she she saw my. Listen, you saw my notes. I want. Let's put a pin in that. We're actually going to come back to that later in the lesson. Okay, all right. Okay, where uh, home cooking? Who else? Where else we got? Big Blue Bagel. Man, that homemade cream cheese, oh, good night. I could, like, swim in that stuff. It's really good, with my mouth open, of course. Um, all right, where, where else? Yes, nice. Which one? Yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? Yeah, outside or inside? Either or. Okay, all right, summer, inside. <laughs> all right, sweet. All right, so that's kind of fun. Uh, all right, so here's, here's another one. Your boss or someone says, hey, take the week off. Professor, boss, you know, spouse, whatever, says take the week off and do whatever you want to do. What do you do? And what were the factors that determine what you do? I put where do you do. It should be what do you do. <laughs> so this one's fun, right, because some people you say, I would love a week where I do absolutely nothing to rest and recover. Some people say I love to travel, so a week off gives me an opportunity to do that. Uh, I think one of the main determining factors is if you have children or not and how old they are. That's probably a big, big determining factor. So uh, who, who says they would probably stay home? Who says they would probably travel? Okay. Uh, who says you would probably do nothing in that week? And who says you want it to be packed full of fun stuff? There you go. All right. Yeah, so it's kind of fun, right, to think about. My wife and I are totally different. I would love to take that week and just knock out 100 projects and feel so productive. Like, that would be so restful for me. My wife would do absolutely nothing, and that would be awesome for her, right? And so anytime we go somewhere, she's like, I don't understand. Like, why do you have to be doing something? And I'm like, I don't understand why you're not, right? And so, so it makes us a great couple. All right, so uh, last one. If you could add anything in Auburn, exclude... Functional offense, we know that's a given, okay? If you could add anything in Auburn, what would you add? All right. So I'm curious, what are some of the things that would make Auburn better? What did you say? In Ikea. Perfect. I mean, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, he said he would move. <laughs> Duly noted. All right. There we, no, I'm just kidding. What, what did we say? 
Breakfast at Barbecue House. I would add that back too. Yes. Rock side, uh, yeah, rock climbing gym outside of the wreck. That would be fun. What else? A what? Like Aldi? Is it Aldi? Yeah. Do I have to pay for the grocery cart? Then I kind of like it. Okay. All right. Oh, there we go. That's why I don't know about it. It's high quality. <laughs> All right. So it's kind of fun to think about some of these things. And you may say, Greg, what's the point? Like, it's not just to kill time, I promise. Um, but like every one of these things that, that we mentioned, they had they have factors involved in why we chose what we chose. And most of them were to our benefit, right? Things that we would enjoy, things that would make us happy, things that would make life better for us, right? And so we all have our own personal preference and desires, and it's kind of funny because they weren't all the same, right? Like some of you had different things that you would like to add. Some of you had stores that you'd like to add to Auburn, right? Some of you had breakfast experiences. Some of you had, you know, hobbies and recreational things and, and all these things. And so right now, we're currently going through Philippians uh, in, in Sunday school. And when you think about the book of Philippians, there's a couple different themes um, that Paul writes in his letter that carries throughout, and one of those is joy, is joy. He talks a lot about joy in the book of Philippians. And so today, I want us to kind of take a look at something topically. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in a couple different places in Philippians. And today I want to look at the concept of happiness versus joy, right? I mean, Kevin's stingy, man, and in a good way. He didn't want me to take the next chunk of passage uh, in Philippians, of course, he hit the highlight last week, but um, but we wanted to stay in the concept of Philippians and what's going on in the letter to the Philippians from Paul, and I want to talk about happiness versus joy. Um, if we wanted to look at some definitions to understand the difference between the two, just taking a collaboration of things, right, maybe from different dictionaries, different things that you find online. A brief synopsis of happiness would be uh, in the moment and mostly passing through versus joy that's present in every moment and stays for a while, right? So one thing that you see the difference between happiness and joy would be, uh, you know, timeline, right? Uh, happiness kind of being in the moment and can jump through different things, whereas joy would be long-lasting. Um, another way to say it is that happiness would be considered more like a feeling, whereas joy would be considered more of a mindset, right, when you're looking at those different things. Now, we use the Bible, right, as our point of reference. So when you think about happiness and joy in the Bible, one of the things that you see is that happy or happiness is used about a dozen times, right? Now, a lot of these numbers kind of depend on which translation that you use. So it may be as low as 10. It may be as high as 15, Ballpark around a dozen times, the Bible uses the word happy or happiness, but for joy or joyful, over 400 times, right? In some, in some translations, about 430 times. So you can even see the discrepancy there of the amount of times that the Bible wants us to focus on happiness versus focusing on joy. So you may say, Greg, well, what's the point? Well, Personally, I feel like when I was kind of thinking through joy and I was thinking through Philippians, the things that Paul writes there, and in my life too, right? Uh, if, you go, if you were here when, um, uh, when Kevin kind of walked through the intro to Philippians, there's a lot of things about the setting in which Paul wrote this letter that wouldn't make you happy, 
right? Like, like Paul was sitting in prison. Like this is one of his prison epistles. Um, I haven't really met a lot of people who went to prison and they were like, it was so great. Like I wanted to go back. You know, it was the most wonderful place that I've, I've lived, right? So most people aren't happy being in prison. <laughs> and also the fact is that Paul was wanting to be out planting churches and, and spreading the gospel, and he wasn't able to do that. I don't think that made him happy that he wasn't able to do like what he wanted to do. But yet Paul talks about having joy in that moment and joy in that moment. And so you say, well, Greg, what does that mean? Well, personally, I feel like maybe for some of us where we could see in life where we've had some struggles is where we should have been focusing on and, and, and um, cultivating joy, but instead we deceived ourselves to focus on happiness and trying to cultivate happiness. And that's where we probably fall short because happiness isn't sustainable. It's not longevity. It's got its ups and downs. It comes and it goes, whereas joy is a mindset that we can have to where we can be joyful even in the moments where those moments don't make us happy. Does that make sense? Not trying to break it down in a psychological way. So for an example, right, like eating Milo's makes me happy. Getting a Milo's brings me joy, right? Yes, right? I don't know what the countdown is, but the sign is already on the front of the building. Yeah, the sign's already on the building, so that means it's coming, right? Let's I'm a little giddy, all right? And um, it's okay if you don't know about Milo's. It's pretty fantastic. I had In-N-Out Burger this week for the first time ever in my life. Everybody goes on and on about In-N-Out. I personally would take Milo's over In-N-Out. So um, if you're not that person, give me your Milo's. I'll give you my In-N-Out. If you've never had either, man, I need to pray for you because you really are missing out on some things in life. But, um, but, but looking at happiness versus joy, and you say, well, Greg, is, are you saying that happiness is bad? Like, is it bad for us to want to be happy? Is it bad for us to, to, to seek happiness? No, like the Bible never says, like, don't be happy, right? The Bible never says, like, be sad and depressed all the time. Um, what I'm saying, though, is that I think too many times what we do is we, we sell the situation short or we sell our lives short when happiness is the focus instead of joy. So there's three things that we see in Philippians where Paul talks about either the people in Philippi or the situation in, in Philippi brought him joy that we want to look at and how that applies to us today. And then at the end, we're going to go to the Gospels and, and look at what Jesus tells us is kind of the secret and the source to that joy. Okay, so all you note takers, I'm trying to do my best to make you happy uh, this morning uh, by giving you some things to write down, right? So, so the first thing that we see when we look through the book of Philippians is Paul talks about having joy in their spiritual growth, having joy in their spiritual growth. He opens up the letter with, um, you know, you open up by telling the letter, like, who it's from and who it's to because, you know, they rolled it out, and it was better to put that at the beginning. Kind of like old-school movies where all the credits were at the beginning. Anybody old enough to remember when credits were at the beginning of a movie, right, versus at the end? So um, look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says here. He says, look, when I pray, right, and, and you come to mind, and when I'm praying for you, 
He was like, I have a lot of joy. Now, what is it that brings them joy? Notice what he says. He says, the things that bring him joy are their partnership in the gospel and God's sanctified work in their lives, right? Verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Verse 6, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is that I'm looking at you guys, and what I see is where you are now spiritually from the first day until now, and, and it just brings a lot of joy to my heart. Now, if you don't know the history here, Paul kind of helped plant this church, if you will. Hold your place in Philippians, and we're going to go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 16. So go back to the left just a little bit to the book of Acts. Um, Paul, uh, after being radically saved, um, meeting Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus where he was headed to persecute believers, he, um, he begins going out with different people, right, like Barnabas and, and, and John Mark and Timothy and, and Silas and these people doing these missionary journeys and, and planting churches. And Basically, what his strategy was, Paul was, in his own proclamation, was a Jew of all Jews, right? Uh, you can read in his letters where he kind of talks about his resume being a Jew among Jews. And so Paul, kind of a common misbelief, uh, is that Paul only cared about the Gentiles. Well, that's not true. Like, Paul uh, was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, but Paul cared about the Jews. Like, he wanted his own people to understand who Jesus is like he did, and put their faith and trust in, in him. And so when he would do these missionary journeys, he would start in the synagogues. You can read through this in Acts, right? He would go to the synagogue where the Jews were, teaching and preaching, and basically telling them, like, this is what the Old Testament law says. This is what we've heard our whole lives of what that believes. But now that I've met Jesus, this is what that really means. And so many times he would be driven out of the synagogue, and he would say, fine, well, if you guys don't want to listen to me, then I'll go over here where people want to. Well, he finds himself in Philippi. Philippi didn't have enough Jewish believers to have a synagogue. And so what he decides to do is to go to Philippi, and he hears that there's a group of spiritual people that has a prayer group down by the water. So on the Sabbath, that's where he goes instead of the synagogue because they didn't have a synagogue. So look in Acts chapter 16, verse 11, or sorry, from verse 12. It says, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So here's the one thing that you can understand is that it's not that Philippi didn't have a synagogue because it was some remote podunk country village, right? It was a very prominent city. It just was unexposed to the gospel. It didn't have the gospel. It didn't have enough believing people in it. So verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this is kind of where we would pinpoint the start of the church in Philippi would be Paul going there on his missionary journey. And he goes out there and Lydia and her household put their faith in Christ. And they have Paul and his companions over to their house. Well, through a series of circumstances, Paul ends up 
delivering a woman from demon possession, but that woman was owned by men who made profit off of her demon possession, and they weren't happy (laughs) that now their fortune was gone. Uh, Instead of being happy that this girl was no longer demon-possessed, they were pretty ticked that now their source of income was gone. Their entrepreneurship was over. And so they uh, they go and they raise Cain, and Paul and Silas get thrown in prison. Well, that night, while they were in prison, Paul and Silas, you can read through there in verse 16, right? They were, they were singing praises to God, which is crazy to think about. Uh, singing praises to God, and there's a violent earthquake, and all the doors open up, and the jailer comes running in. He sees all the doors open, and he, what does he assume? What would be the natural assumption of a prison guard? That they escaped, right? Like, if you're in prison, and all of a sudden the doors open up, like, why would you not run out, right? I mean, that's probably a pretty common thing. And in that day, if anybody on your watch escaped, then you were put to death. So the jailer thought, well, might as well go ahead and take care of business now. So he pulls out his sword to kill himself, and Paul and Silas holler out. They're like, whoa, 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 slow up, slow up, brother. We're still here. And the guy's like, what? And so Paul and Silas talk to this guard, and he gives his life to Christ. Look at verse 29. So the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he broke them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, the interaction he had had with Paul and Silas was probably very minimal, right? I mean, it probably wasn't like he he had spent a retreat with him or anything, but there was something about them, what he heard, what he saw, what they did that caused him to recognize there was something different. And so here he, now like Lydia, desires to be saved saved. Look at verse 31. They replied, we'll believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Interesting enough, right? The jailer is breaking the prisoners out of prison to baptize him and his household. (laughs) That's kind of cool to think about, okay? If you haven't ever really thought about that scenario, like that's pretty awesome. Verse 34, so the jailer brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, look down to verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and the sisters, and they encouraged them, and then they left. Right? This is kind of a crazy start to a church plant, right? These people get saved, and they start meeting together, and they start gathering together. You can go back to the letter in the Philippians, and you can see that basically, like, this was a church plant that started from nothing and has grown and developed. It's about 10 years that this church has, has began to grow and to manifest itself as, as a church body there in Philippi to when Paul is writing this letter. So when Paul says, like, I am encouraged because from the first day until now, in chapter 1, it's because Paul was there at day 1, and Paul has stayed in touch with them and stayed in contact with them, and he's seen their spiritual growth and development. You know, for several of us in this room, it might be a family member, it might be a child, it might be somebody that we've been connected to for a long period of time, but we can probably think of examples of somebody that we've known for a decade that we've seen their progress and their spiritual growth And what does that do? It brings us joy, right? It brings us joy to see, like, where they were and, like, where they are now. It's really, really cool. Like, for example, there's a a guy named Glenn who was, when I was on staff at North Highlands in um, Birmingham early on, he was a college student there, 
that had been radically saved from a very wild lifestyle, and he wanted to go be a missionary in Thailand. Well, because of his background and because of the things he had done, most of the sending agencies said they didn't approve him. They didn't approve him to go be a missionary at that point in time because he didn't kind of meet the mold of their criteria. Well, he had such a desire for the people there, he said, you know what, I'm just going to go teach. And so he got a college degree, and he went over there and started teaching in a school, and he's been involved with a church plant over there for about 20 years. That's cool to see, like, where Glenn was to, like, where he is now, and it brings a lot of joy to our hearts to see, like, his spiritual growth. And that's what Paul says here about them. They say, he says, look, when I, when I pray, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now and because to know that the work that God is doing in your life, he's going to be faithful to continue doing that work. Why is this a big deal? Well, because for, mo- mo- for many, unfortunately, salvation is seen more like fire insurance, right? Like, I just want to be saved so that way I can go to heaven. And they kind of feel like it just kind of stops there. But, but that's not the end goal, right? The end goal is not just for people to give their life to Christ. The end goal is for people to continue growing in that relationship with Christ, with Christ right? The Great Commission isn't just be saved and be baptized, right? The, the, the next part of the Great Commission is and teaching them to obey all that we've commanded. So salvation is key, but discipleship is the finish line of that growth. It's disciples making disciples is the goal. Here's a companion thought. Look in um, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, look at what he calls them. This is kind of cool. My joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends, right? He opens with um, seeing your spiritual growth from start until now. And then as he's closing out this last section, he calls them his joy and his crown in that God will help sustain them and stand firm. That's spiritual growth, okay? So we see that Paul had joy because of the spiritual growth that he saw in the church there in Philippi. Now what we're going to see is a couple things that overflow out of that spiritual growth, things in their life that as we continue to grow spiritually, it will manifest into these things that Paul said brought him joy for the church in Philippi. So that, the next one is going to be joy in their unity, Joy in their unity. Look in chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. If you remember when Kevin kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago, he was saying like, he wasn't saying that it's, it's, it's translated to where if you have, but the assumption that because you have, right? It's not quite as iffy as it may sound in the English translation. But kind of because you have encouragement for being united with Christ, because of these things that you have, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So the first thing that he talks about with this unity the joy that Paul has is the unity that they would have with Christ, right? I mean, that's what we talk about in verse 1. He says, from being united with Christ. Now, that's obviously the first goal. Like, we want to see people be united with Jesus Christ. We want to see people be saved from their sins. We want to see people to worship Jesus, the whole reason why they were created. 
And so that's the first thing that his joy is that you are united with Christ. But in being united with Christ, then, his joy is also in them being united with each other, united with each other. Kevin made a great point when he went through this passage when he said that unity does not mean conformity, right? And it doesn't mean that just because everybody in this room is unified, it doesn't mean that we're all alike. I mean, look around this room. Like, I know most of you, and, and the handful of you that I, that I do know, it's like you're all so different, right? You're different in how you were created, in your personalities, um, in your gifting. Uh, everybody is, is, is unique in that way. And so I think one of the things that society kind of tricks people into believing is that unity means conformity, meaning like if you and I are going to be unified, you have to now agree with me. And that's not necessarily what that means. Like you and I can have a difference of opinion, you know. Uh, Jonathan and Brett and I root for different sports teams at times, but we're still friends, right? You know, because what we're unified with goes above and beyond that. They're, they're giving me a stink eye right now because I cheered for the Phillies when I was growing up. But as Kevin will tell you, I haven't watched baseball in several years, so it's not like I can rub it in or anything. I probably could name two players. But, but the thing is, is that we can be different, right? Some people go, oh, well, you know, if you want to be unified with me, like you have to have your kids do schooling the same way I do. Well, no, like I could still be friends with somebody and us have different choices on how we educate our children. Uh, or somebody may say like, oh, well, you know, if you want to be unified with me, you have to have the same political views I have. Well, not necessarily. I mean, right, like we can have a different opinion of, of how government can work to enhance economy and society. That doesn't mean we can't still be brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. And if really, if you want a great example of that, if you've ever studied the Gospels, Good grief, could Jesus have picked a more diverse group of men to be his 12 apostles? I mean, you go from a sellout tax collector in Matthew to a dang religious zealot in Simon who would have carried a sword underneath his garments at all times so that if anybody wanted to overthrow the Roman government, they were ready to start swinging. That's a pretty diverse group of people that you want to sit down next to each other and share sushi with. I mean, that's, you know, just being honest. Like, that's, that's kind of hard to do. You got the redneck brothers with the high-end academia people, right? I'm sure that was a fun conversation, you know? And so I doubt they cook the same, by the way. And so all that to say is that just because we are different doesn't mean that we can't be unified. And just because we're unified doesn't mean that we can't be different. And that's the beauty of it. What's the common denominator in here. Notice what he says. The common denominator is Christ. He says, since you have been unified with Christ, make my joy complete in being like-minded. Being like-minded. Now, one of the things he points out in here in verses 3 and 4 is that one of the greatest enemies and one of the greatest tools of uh, being like-minded is our focus. Is our focus. One of the greatest enemies of unity is selfishness and self-centeredness. Know what he says in here. He says, being one in spirit, one of mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, looking not only to your own interest, but to each interest of others. So it's kind of like this. Any seesaw people up in here? Anybody like seesaws? I mean, maybe not now, like when you're a kid, seesaws. Anybody have that jerk friend that would jump off so that you would slam to the ground? Tommy was that for me. 
Dummy's like, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody, I don't want to give anybody ideas because you may try it with your child. But, uh, but no, so like, you know, a seesaw is like as one side goes up, what does the other side do? I really didn't think that was a hard question, <laughs> nor is it a rhetorical question. In a seesaw, as one side goes up, what does the other side do? Yeah, thank you. I know. It's hard. You're not used to Kevin, like, having responses. But, uh, but the thing is that as one side goes up, the other one comes down. So it's kind of like this. It's almost like selfishness and self-centeredness is on one side, and, like, unity is on the other side. And so what Paul is saying is that as our selfishness and our self-centeredness goes up, what's going to naturally come down? Our unity. And so he's saying that if we want to make sure that we either A, become unified, or B, stay unified, in order for that unity to go up, what's got to come down? Thank you. Yes, yes. Selfishness and self-centeredness, right? So think of it in that regard. So you say, well, Greg, what does that have to do with me? Well, maybe there's, there's a situation either here at this church or maybe with a neighbor or somebody that's a co-worker, right, that you're just really like button heads with, and you're having a hard time being on the same page with them as a brother and sister in Christ. What this is saying is that one thing I can do is I can evaluate myself and say, do I have some selfishness and some self-centeredness that's probably pushing up in my heart and in my mind, and what that's doing is that's causing that unity to go down. And sometimes it may be valid, right? Like, let's say Pastor Brian, heaven forbid, like ever starts preaching something that, that is contrary to Scripture, right? That's a moment where you don't want unity, right? You don't want to support your pastor preaching things that are contrary to Scripture. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying, oh, well, just sit in the pew and take it because you want to be unified. That's not what he's talking about. But let's say there is something that they, the leadership of the church decides they want to do, and maybe I disagree with it. And I go, man, I can't believe we're doing that. We should do something else. And as I really seek and evaluate, what I realize is that it's more of my personal preference than it is something that's a biblical standard. And what will happen is if I, if I get petty and, and I focus on what I want, then that's going to bring my heart and my spirit of unity down, right? And that's the thing I love about Lakeview in the 20-something years we've had a chance to be members here is that is that both with Brother Al and with Pastor Brian, is that they work really hard to make sure that we can be on the same page. And as there is something that is potentially going to drive a wedge in the congregation, they tend to pump the brakes, right? And they tend to seek the Lord because one of the greatest tools I think that anybody, enemy could do to destroy a local church and its witness in the community is to be divisive, right? Church splits rarely honor the Lord unless it's over something that's biblical and doctrinal, okay? So Paul says, hey, look, I find a lot of joy in your spiritual growth, right, from day one until now, and an overflow of that is I find a lot of joy in your unity. The next thing he says is that Paul says in here in this letter, I have a lot of joy in your hospitality. Your hospitality that you have brings me a lot of joy. Notice in, in um, chapter 2, verse 25, he, he's talking about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a church leader that the church in Philippi had sent to Paul uh, to bring him gifts, to check in on him, to take care of him. We, we call that member care uh, here at Lakeview, which we do that a lot. A lot of our mission staff and our staff will go out and do member care along the way. Notice what he says here in, in verse 25. He says, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He says, hey, thanks for sending Epaphroditus. I'm sending him back. Why? Because Epaphroditus was 
messing up. Maybe he'd overstayed his welcome. Maybe he chatted too much like I do. I don't know. Verse 26 says, no, that's not the case. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. Here it is, verse 29. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You might say, Greg, I don't understand. Like, how does that fit into hospitality? Well, specifically here what he's saying is, that his joy was there because of their hospitality for workers of the gospel, specifically, is how it's applied here. And so I started thinking about us, right? We just are on the heels of the International Missions Festival that we just had a couple of years. And one of the joys that I've been able to have uh, in my time that I've been here at Lakeview is the interaction with a lot of missionary families. And when they come to the Missions Festival, a common theme that a lot of them say is how much they appreciated Lakeview welcoming them and loving on them and loving on their kids like while they were here. We even have some missionary units that will claim Lakeview as their sending church and as their church home, and they didn't really necessarily grow up here. We've just connected with them in such a way that we loved on them and we've invested in them. And I say that in such a way that Paul would say that there's a lot of joy that comes from doing that. Now, we'll go back to Naomi's point where I said we'll put a pin in it. To the adults in the room, I know that many of you, if not all of you, I'm looking around the room, I think all of you, have people in your home on a regular basis, and, and Paul says there's a lot of joy that comes with doing that, being hospitable to another generation, and so thank you. Keep that up. My own children are a byproduct and a benefit of your hospitality, and I thank you so much for that. Um, one of the things that Brother Al used to always hammer home, and I love this, was he would say that you know, the church doesn't need to become like a Christian country club. You know, we don't need to be to where people are like, oh, well, you're not a part of Lakeview, then I'm sorry. You can stand across the street over there, and you can look from a distance. I don't know why I felt like I needed a British accent to say that. But, now, brother, I don't talk with one of those. But, like, you know, it's like some, some churches are like that. Like, I've, I've been in churches in my life where, you know, you're kind of the outsider looking in, right? I mean, they're nice to you, but you're, you're still kind of kept at, a, at an arm's length. And Paul is saying that, like, when, when you guys experience or, or you guys express hospitality in the way that they did, there's a lot of joy that comes with that. And so keep it up. Keep it up. So we've seen Paul's joy in their spiritual growth, in their unity, <clears throat> and in their hospitality, but we're not part of a church plant, right? We're not part of a church like Philippi that's, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of doing like that. We have a long, rich history uh, in that. And also, we're not necessarily in that context of the early church. So what does that look like for us? We'll flip back to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his apostles. And it's very applicable to you and to me today. And I'm going to call this kind of the secret and the source of our joy. You say, Greg, we're talking about joy versus happiness and, and our joy that, that's happening with our spiritual growth and our unity and our hospitality. Um, what's the secret to that, right? Like, how do we do that? And, and here's what we have in John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking to his apostles, which is also applicable to us today. He says, look, I, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? What does your Bible say? complete, right? 
So Jesus is saying, like, what is it? Like, what's the secret sauce to say that, that brings you and I, brings him joy for you and me and helps us have joy that is complete? What has he said? Go back to the beginning of that section in verse 5. This is what it is. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Would we like to have joy? Yeah, of course we would. I think everybody in here, if, if, if we're asked, like, hey, do you want your life to be miserable? I mean, I don't know a lot of people that are like, yeah, I kind of put my pants on this morning and was hoping I had a miserable day. Like, I don't know very many people that would want that. We'd love to have a joyful day, a joyful life, a joyful scenario, because happiness can overflow out of that joy. But Jesus says, how do we do that then? To abide in him. To, to abide in him, both in mindset and in practice. Look at what he says in verse 12, right? He says, I, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may can be complete. My command is this, just love each other as I have loved you. I think that's what brought Paul joy was he saw that the spiritual growth that the church of Philippi had was because they were abiding in Christ. The, the unity that they had was because they were unified with Christ and they were unified because of Christ. And the hospitality that they had was so that they could be Christ-like and being hospitable to others. Basically, the greatest tool to my joy and the greatest threat to my joy is going to be my focus. As it says right here, am I focused on myself or am I focused on Jesus and others? Would I like to have joy in spiritual growth? I hope so. I hope to know that I would have joy in, in seeing my spiritual growth. Jesus says the way that I do that is to just abide in him and, and to love others. Do I want to have joy and unity? Like, I, I, I don't necessarily like, it's not necessarily one of my greatest qualities. I don't always run away from a fight, you know. It's, it's not really one of my endearing qualities that I've had that I've tried to work on through the years. Um, but I don't like being disjointed from people. Like, that's not fun. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to be unified with people because I enjoy having fun with them, you know, and I just enjoy being around people. Well, most people, so, some people a little harder than others, and Jesus said those are the people I should spend more time with, right? And, and also, too, like hospitality. Like, do I enjoy welcoming other people? Yeah, I think deep down I do. Probably part of that's because I'm an extrovert, and I just enjoy being around people, but I enjoy being hospitable and helping people out. And Jesus says, okay, Greg, if you'd like to experience joy in those areas, just abide in him and just focus on other people and love other people. Because remember, it's like a seesaw, right? As my selfishness and self-centeredness goes up, you know, the unity and the joy comes down. 